0: At AIA Australia, helping your clients in their time of need is our number one priority. In 2016, we paid over $1.15 billion in claims to both retail and group members. That's over $4.5 million every working day. To offer your clients cover you can trust, chat to your AIA CDM today.
1: Welcome, Steve. Great to have you. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. It's... uh... I'm just glad it wasn't me with the IT issues. Um it usually is, so it's a, a bit of a change. So any anything's great. I'm grateful for that. Steve, you have absolutely
2: nailed it. Um for uh for everyone watching in, Steve, I'd love for you to just give us a bit of uh your background, background in 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 the advice industry and then into your business and how that's uh that sort of evolved over time.
1: Thanks Ben. It's uh it's a long long and sort of winding road, I guess, my involvement in advice. Uh, my background is uh, from the banking uh, industry. So I uh, left school and spent the first nine years of my work life with Westpac in a variety of roles through branch banking, commercial banking, uh, and you know ultimately sort of getting really interested in becoming an advisor. It certainly didn't um, eventuate within Westpac at that stage Uh, For me, so I spent a couple more years out of Westpac doing some mortgage broking uh, and first entered our profession in 1995 when I became a branch advisor with Suncorp. Um, So Suncorp uh, had uh, in its infancy first couple of years of branch advisors. uh, So they were learning a lot. It was a good place to get a grounding. Uh, I moved through that advice network into sort of regional management and then project management with with them until 2003 when, um, you know, they were going through massive changes. The focus was coming off uh, delivering client uh, ongoing service uh, as far as what what I viewed that relationship should be. Uh, So um, I had an opportunity to leave the organisation favourably and I did that and... um, more sales management and then over to MLC as a practice development manager in 2005, there for three years, helping other advice businesses build, grow, segment, become more efficient, market their services and recruit the right people. Uh, And then in 2007, I started talking to one of the principals uh, within the group who was looking at exiting uh, the business uh, about what I needed to do more specifically to actually get back into client facing advice. Um, And I ended up buying that practice uh, midway through 2008 have been here ever since. So that got me into um, where I'm at. So I was very glad to make that move. Um, It's been a fantastic learning curve since being here. So uh, yeah.
2: Awesome. And so what did the business look like when you, when you bought it in, in 2008?
1: Um, It was typical, I guess, of a a lot of practices at that time where principals had sort of seen some of the writing on the wall with regards to changing attitudes around fees, changing attitudes around client service. So at that point, there had been uh, what were called at that time service agreements implemented with clients where a variety of services were put on the table for uh, a remuneration that included some trailing commission on investments and superannuation. Uh, But at the same time, there was like a cocktail arrangement where there was a a advisor service fee percentage based advisor service fee added so that you got to a a point where the remuneration um, met the services that were being delivered. Um, So that's what that's sort of, we probably had about 300, 350 clients at that stage at various levels of engagement and uh, obviously um, fortunate enough to uh, buy a practice where there was uh, a good level of efficiency already and a, a long-standing support person that had been working with the principal. Um, so in that, in that basis, there are a lot of well-formed processes. We just had too many clients and that's really what I, what I struck when I, when I first uh, got into this business.
2: Yeah. So, and I know that we were chatting about this the other day, and you told me that you did some obviously after getting into the business a lot of thinking about you know what you wanted the business to look like in the future, and then around two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, you did a bit of a uh, a bit of a reposition. Can you tell us about that that process? What drove you to get there? What the thought? What the thinking was around that, and then what the results were?
1: So, I guess. Um Everyone on the on the call today might sort of remember the little thing that we had in 2007 called the GFC. Um, meeting the clients, uh, coming through the GFC and ultimately exiting the GFC sort of in March of 2009 was, was really the best thing to frame my views about what I wanted to, to go forward with as a business. Um, with such a broad range of people uh, on board, you know, all contributing a certain amount of the revenue, uh, I really had to have a really broad brush approach to, to try and communicate, com- keep communicating through the GFC and keep that revenue, um, which obviously is a lifeblood of a business where you've got expenses and you've got to pay the bank back. Um, and, you've, you know, because of my own personal circumstances, um, I borrowed money um, from the vendor of the business for the first 12 months to enable me just to be able to make the purchase. So that was all happening. So the the renovation, I guess, if you like, happened after I had a bit of experience with the various you know client bases, and and I got a bit of a better idea about the services that I wanted to deliver and what I wanted the business to look look like. And it was a much it's a much reduced um, scale of reference in that I realised I could only really deliver top quality service to a much reduced client base so um, within my licensee there was an opportunity to um, sort of transfer the relationships of a number of those clients that through that two-year period I found most difficult to engage with um, back to uh, their license back to the license uh, and they were there with it they were there with a check and they organized a buyer and it was it was a really straightforward process. But what I was left with was a business where there was probably I guess about 140 active clients but the clients that I felt that were ideal for where I wanted to go. And they were people um, that the most important criteria were people that were prepared to take advice that relied sort of on our expertise rather than uh, the clients that would second guess why they have been recommended a certain thing and say, well, you know, I don't think I need to hold as much cash as you want to recommend for me. I I would like everything to go into growth. Um, So that's really what I wanted to sort of take forward with a much reduced number of clients uh, so I could sort of focus my efforts uh, on, on bringing those people through and walking through their lives with them. Sure. And so,
2: so you, you, you want to work with people that value, uh, your advice, and uh, uh, you know, happy to sort of delegate um, uh, that, those duties to yourself. Were, were there any other criteria in terms of what um, what sort of advice they wanted, or what sort of areas that they wanted you to to us
1: to assist them in? I guess through the GFC, the importance of uh, having those people uh, around. Uh, your potential clients, that would be a positive influence um, was, was something that was pretty important. And by that I mean uh, the – and we'd already sort of started doing a, a bit of the family advice piece, um, you know, uh, before we uh, sort of went through the renovation. So we'd actually um, have good recommendations for the next generation to come and see us from parents – um, and it really helped sort of gender, engender not only regeneration within the business or getting younger people to come through and get advice, but also it, the recommendation was coming from within the family in a lot of cases. So we really wanted to, to work hard on uh, building the family advice uh, as, as a centrepiece uh, for, for the business. The other criterias uh, for us were um, we were, you know, really wanting to, to play a role. Um, not just um, in the managing of superannuation or the managing of investments, but also to sort of be a a face in our community uh, Mm -hmm. as being um, active with financial literacy as being seen as somewhat, somewhat of an expert, I guess, in financial matters um, and hence uh, generating the referrals and the interest in our services as a result of that. So, um, we also look for opportunities with potential clients to extend that reach as well. Whether those clients were sort of coming from accounting practices or from um, local area advertising that we've been doing, mm. um, it was all about getting the opportunity to talk to more like-minded people that valued advice. Sure, and so I
2: know that you. You know, when we were chatting the other day, you were saying that you you had a number of transactional clients, and you you just you established. Pretty clearly that they weren't going to fit in the sort of business that you wanted to be running going yeah. forward. But beyond beyond um, you know being a, a, a non transactional client, were there were you um, specific in that say would you take on the, you know an insurance only client that was um, that or take with you and it like a client that only wanted help in in that area or only wanted help with say yeah. the management of their superannuation fund or did you want to do more the you know the overall uh, advice piece.
1: I'm probably at odds with um, maybe some some contemporary thinking about advice practices and what they look like in that. Um, you know, certainly particular, not so probably not as much now as when I was in that practice development role. Um, there were um, potential advisors uh, looking to do what we call cold starts, so actually come in with no clients and build a business where you've got a client that has a particular advice need uh, or advice needs is going to pay you $5,000 a year plus. So you're going to have a client base of 40, 50, 60 people. And if you've got anyone that doesn't fit that mold, you send them away. Um, I've never really been of that mindset because um, as going through the, um, the renovation process and getting more, my only criteria is really that they wanted to be engaged. They wanted to, to get our advice and listen. Um, and there were people that we met through where we met and we'd had a deeper connection with through that advice, that renovation of the advice business that came out as being our ideal client later in the piece after asking to stay with us um, quite off the bat. There were people there that weren't engaged and weren't really um sort of looking at their future needs but you know circumstances happen one year two year into our relationship where there's um you know maybe an inheritance or maybe an insurance payout or that sort of thing where they actually then become that ideal client so um when i've got um, referrals that come in one of the um, referral partners that we had was an accountant that um, we specifically targeted um, to do the uh, insurance work uh, for referrals that they may have, they were doing a lot of self-managed super funds and, uh, and we sort of had the opportunity to, to get referrals for insurance only. So we did a lot of that. I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not sort of saying that you shouldn't do that kind of work as well. It's just differentiating your offer to various people. Uh, the segmentation is where the work is done, you know, if you've got an insurance only client you certainly have servicing responsibilities and you're certainly being paid to service that client through any trailing commissions you might receive but mm. um, it's a different type of servicing to what you would be doing for a, uh, a full advice um, holistic type client so it's yep. that then you know it's not about excluding uh, particular clients or client groups Um but it's about making sure that you've got an appropriate service offering for everyone that you're dealing with. Sure. So I'm keen to
2: I'm keen to jump into this segmentation piece because uh, I know that you you know you mentioned you started your business hundred uh, or when you when you renovated your business and I love that yeah. uh, term by the by the way but you, yeah. you ended up with about 140 clients from that point I know that you've <coughs> you
1: know, you've grown it
2: further to you, you were at um, when we were chatting a little while back around 170 odd fully active clients um for me you know as someone running a small business i think uh i would struggle to uh, find enough hours in the day to uh, to service that many clients so clearly you're running a very efficient business and when we were chatting about that you noted that one of the key ways that you've done that is through this segmentation so can you you tell us a bit about how you approach that and and you know i suppose how you got started whether that was something that you picked up through the pdm work that you did and um yeah just just that
1: how that's worked in practice in your business sure um and with segmentation i guess there's no right or wrong answer it depends on the people that you've got in your client base it's it's to me i've been led to the various offers that we put in front of people by the people themselves so um but what we started with was um the typical sort of model where we um when i came in and looked at um like revenue for work that we were doing for various people um, and what network needed to be done um, we basically sort of built um, the typical platinum gold silver and bronze options and then an yep. insurance only option um, so platinum was uh, a couple of re- couple of face-to-face reviews a year as a minimum um, but that said a platinum is a, a platinum is a movable feast given the number of given the types of people that we actually have in that category so it might be the face-to-face um, meetings that we arrange half yearly for one particular group uh, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of clients we have that are expats that have moved around the Middle East and, and America um, and, and for work we will have mm. a quarterly have a quarterly teleconference. Um, at a time of their, um, of their choosing. So, obviously, it's an early morning or a late at night or whatever fits with their time zone. Um, yeah. But that's a, that's a quarterly teleconference. And then, you know, when they come back to Australia to see family, then we do a, they usually are back once a year, we do a face to face meeting there. So, um, so, Platinum, we're probably, of the, you know, if we're looking nowadays, we've probably got you know, 165 of those clients that um, are really active. We probably have about 30 to 35 platinum clients where we would be delivering that service. Um, the rest of them are a, a higher touch as well, you know, in terms of making the phone calls, checking in to make sure they're okay um, and generally just having a higher level of engagement. Um, within, within um, like there's gold as well, which is um, at least one face-to-face review that we will organise plus mailing of reports, telephone check-ins, but probably not to the same extent. Um, We have newsletter that that comes out. We have client events where we will have people along. Um, And, you know, there's a a group of people there that also have very different needs. Like we might have, we do have a a Centrelink offer as well where uh, we become the correspondence nominees for a number of our elderly clients that are experiencing the, uh, the hassle of having to go and line up to Centrelink to tell them about their new car or their um, renovations that they're planning to do or the 10000 they want to give to their daughter or son um, so we actually as correspondence nominees can actually do a lot of that administration work via the uh, the Centrelink portal uh, and we can um, liaise if there's any questions from a Centrelink perspective um, to, to a, you know um, things that happen um, so that's That's present, I guess, in mainly in the gold clients. Um, You know, the the work that we do with Centrelink is part of our offer and it would elevate, you know, potentially where we're sort of not doing as much work in the lower orders. So silver. we'd we'd still do the face-to-face review, but we may not be um, Centrelink uh, correspondence nominees. We may not um, have the same call pattern with those people as what we would have further up the uh, the chain yes
0: yeah, um, sorry sorry to jump in there I was just I was gonna point out on your website how you've got um, all these contact points that you're talking about you yep. seem to have a really good consistency around that and you sort of you talk about not um, like the majority of the clients have been touched within the last three three months and yep. like the systems around that how do you yeah how do you sort of yeah. make sure that happens? How do, what do you, what works and helps? Because a lot of practices I think struggle to sort of maintain consistency around doing that.
1: Yeah, look, I think uh, what I would be recommending very highly is uh, is a very good CRM. Um, and we're using X-Plan uh, because, you know, we, we can put the advice uh, and the, uh, the modelling and all of that in beside our CRM. Uh, it also... Uh, allows us to run workflow uh, and we basically will manage our contact program via the plan workflow um, where the various people in the business will be tasked with uh, the, the follow-up um, around uh, around that so I'm the I'm the only uh, revenue generating advisor at the moment I have an associate who's joined me who's in on the in on the Facebook live page at the moment out in the other room uh, Troy um, and uh, I also have an assistant who uh, is very well-known. My assistant's been with me since 2009. And Katrina comes from a background of having sort of a number of years within Centrelink herself as well as 10, 11 years in the advice practice before she came to us. So I'm very fortunate in the staffing, but at the same time, it's very important to have the, uh, the workflow threads yeah. driving that contact
0: I'm curious with those workflow threads. Um, I guess a lot of people, there are options, and I know within X plan that you can do automated when something gets to a uh, certain point, yep. like an automated email or a text message yep. even. Um, how do you make a decision? Do you use the automation pieces, or is it all a task thing where one of the staff members will go and um, make that action? They'll send the email separately, or, is it, or have you made use of the automation piece, pieces when it gets to that stage?
1: So as far as the automation goes, um, with X-Plan, when, when the task comes up, we will get an email into our inbox, the person that is responsible for, achieving, for doing that task. And as far as the contact process goes, um, it's horses for courses. So for example, our, our younger clients, it would be um, a check-in email or a text message um, or even a Skype call. Uh, for older clients, though, it would probably be picking up the phone and having a chat. So we've got a, a number of retirees, as I sort of mentioned. Um, we have fortunate enough to have um, retained the mums and dads of the younger parent, um, younger clients that we've brought on since uh, I bought the business. So they're more attuned to sort of having a phone call. Um, you, know, we'll, you know, if there's a meeting that, that's needed, we'll bring them in and sort of have some morning tea or go to their place and, and have morning tea but um, it's as far as the automation goes, we get the email and then um, we will determine what the most appropriate sort of contact mechanism would be for those particular clients.
0: Yeah, it's always seemed um, as much as you can automate these things, yeah. I, I like what you're doing there in terms of the filter because all the clients are different and if you are yeah. sort of the standardized thing, it's taking away that personal side of things, I guess. So.
1: Yeah, and I think really one of the things that i wanted to, to to do a few years back was just do a well, last year really uh is just do a bit of a temperature check to see um how our how our efforts in that regard were being sort of perceived out there um again fortunate enough uh to be offered through our licensee the ability to do a survey with core data uh, on our client base and um and essentially, that allowed us to gather a lot of feedback as to how we were seen uh, in the eyes of our clients. I know there are probably a few people on the on the call this afternoon that have actually gone through that process, and it, it really is an eye opener um, as far as you know where you cut, where you sort of go, what you do with that data. I
0: mean, um, it's it sort like of statistics on the website here, like net promoter yeah, score we, and the engagement piece, and yeah. Yeah, we
1: brag about it a little bit. Um, and I guess one of the things that it brought out was, I guess, um, it said, you know, that, that whole discussion about us contacting, having contacted a certain number of percentage of our clients um, within three months, of the, it was a high percentage of our client base. Um, you know, there was some argument that I guess we, maybe we were so, sort of over-servicing, um, but we had the processes and systems in place to be able to, deliver those touch points and um, when I've subsequently spoken to our clients because of the fact that we've been there and spoken to them face to face and always delivered on those meeting um, promises and obligations that we have under this under the servicing um, when they get a newsletter from us they see that as a touch point now when they get a phone call from us they recognize that as a touch point Uh, it's not so much just about the actual touch point. It's about doing enough so that your clients will actually recognize the particular contact as that touch point that you need to have. So, yeah, the survey is really useful.
0: In terms of um, those touch points and I guess trying to get the most efficiency in your business around that, do you have? Have you, sort of, have you set up templated things that can make that easier? How do you, as I know you've got all these segments. Have you tailored things to each of these segments that you'll do differently? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, within X-Plan also, we've been able to
1: run templated emails and templated uh, letter templates that attach to those tasks that we uh, are, um, are putting out there. So if it's an email or a, te- or a um, even a text, um, the issue that we've had with like just a technical issue with X-Plan is that we aren't uh, consistently able to email out of X-Plan. So people would be able to set up the email and have it sent automatically from the X-Plan software. We've actually, for um, to be sure that the email is actually getting there or the text message is being sent, we actually use the... M- use a manual we take it out and manually sort of go send the email through outlook or to some people um we have a uh, you know a problem with our uh, microsoft 365 i'm not sure if anyone else's experiences the same problems but we um we have difficulties emailing uh, places like the afa head, head office uh as well as um in brisbane it's a, a, a catholic education office is another one where our emails bounce back so we've actually got a Know that and make a manual workaround in some. Have they put you so. in their
0: spam, uh, their spam bucket, Steve.
1: Yeah, it's a three Microsoft 365 thing. It's um, it's a DNS signature issue. Um, and my son's um a computer and computer um student at uh at university, and he's uh, apparently going to fix it for me. I'm just not holding my breath. <laughs> he probably
2: just switch you to Gmail, Steve. Well, most of yeah, my I
0: made the switch this year, Steve. Yeah, I, um,
1: well, it works definitely. Yeah, everything um, that I send to AFA or to the places where I know there's a problem, it comes from Gmail.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, awesome. So, Steve, like I, I know, um, uh, you,
2: so you di- you did this core data survey and, and figured out all of you know what your clients are valued. What changes, if any, did you make following the um, the 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 research that you did and were there any was there anything that really surprised you from the results that you saw
1: yeah i um i wasn't terribly surprised i guess i was um i i knew that we were we were sort of paranoid about making sure that we had those touch points because in my experience um with working with advice practices from that pdm land and also even back as far as suncorp you know um, when you actually um, guide a client through the process, uh, guide a client through tough times. Say GFC is a classic example. That strength of that relationship um, is just absolutely gold. It makes a big difference. So when I got the um, when I got the uh, core data survey, I knew that we could still continue to deliver the uh, the contact points that that we'd be. Be, become known for within that survey, so we, you know, despite sort of saying we could free up some resources, I don't. I disagreed. You know, we sort of had a business coach who said oh, you could probably free up a few bit of resource because you don't need to be contacting your clients as much and and looking yeah. at my business, I felt that we could continue to do that. So we so we kept doing it. Um, some of the things that um, are starting to creep in now, um, and I guess it's particularly personal uh, pertinent to my business being licensed with a large institutional licensee um we started to have a, um, some comments around um you know you're going to get the house product you know not necessarily from the older clients that have been around for a while but certainly some of the new ones that we've we've gathered through those referrals from accountants and um, you know advisor ratings is another place where we've got some referrals as well so um hmm. Those are the sorts of things that sort of force us for for has forced me to have a look at just the way we engage people and, and what we actually stand for. I mean, I'm um, I think an institutional licensee gives you um a good backing um and, and strength to stand behind you. Um yeah. I know I've got the approved product list to um to give them choice as to the product, give me choice as to what I recommend. Um yeah. But it's about articulating that a bit more with uh, with clients and being on the front foot with that, rather than having that come up as an objection at a point in the process. So that's that's a, one of the things. The other thing also that came out of the core data was the realization, I guess, that while we're doing a good job with the numbers of people that we've been managing, um, we're at capacity in terms of um, there was no scope to do any more. You know, and and if we um, if we wanted to grow. I need, to, um, I need to be seriously sort of moving towards getting more resources and that's that's what we've done this year. Hi, yeah. Troy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. I was going to say to the guys that are um, listening to us out there, there's um, there's some good resources on Steve's website, um, I think courtesy of the MLC backing out the back there, but um, some good educational material. Anyone's looking for anything. There's a, a variety of um, different things. They look pretty good, Steve. Do they... Do they work okay, what you use out there with the clients? Yeah,
1: that's – I mean, the newsletters are, um, are well regarded. Like in terms of the the content, we uh, – it's a um, – the newsletter content is uh, – well, it's a lot of MLC content, but there's also content that comes from a group called ClientCom, um, which is a, uh, a small sort of IT uh, business on the Central Coast that has a specialty in websites, and I don't think MLC – the only people that use client com, um, but they can actually systemize things like budget updates and interest rate announcements and a whole range of different things. We only use um, a small part of what they're offering is, um, but yeah, certainly a lot of those resources on my web sort website will be around. You know the newsletters that we've we've put out there. Um, it's you know it's a bit of a brochure site, but just with a little bit more. In the brochure, rather than um, sort of uh, the big automation into um, client portfolios and all of that sort of thing, I'd rather I'd rather have the client come to talk to us about their portfolio rather than sort of going in and doing those sorts of things. So my focus really is on on the information and people can pick from it what they uh, what they want to see.
0: Well, Jackson, who's on the, he's he's put a um, question in on the Facebook Live there, and he's he's asking sort of what do these touch points look like? What what are the agendas, and how are you like? What do you cover off in these things? So a bit more nitty gritty in terms of what are you doing in these um, at these points in time. So really, there's um, there's at our initial engagement
1: with a client, um, we have a checklist of reasons why we will contact you. Um, and if, and also on the converse, if any of these particular circumstances occur, feel free to give us a call. So, um, you know, on the give us a call side, there'll be places, just the usual things that you might expect to see, like um, birth of a child, birth of a grandchild, um, you know, marriage, death in the family. Um, you know, aged care discussions—a whole range of different things that, that would um, jog a person to give us a call. But our touch points are around things such as, um, you know, the the personal things like birthdays and anniversaries, um, work anniversaries as well as relationship anniversaries, um, kids' birthdays. Um, it's not a it's not an exhaustive list because, as I said, you know, our servicing. Is really all about the people that we've got in our client base um, and when we will identify that there's a you know a, re, a need to be in contact will will certainly be there it could be a business touch point as well it could be you know um, uh, you know for example the um, the changes to uh, the Centrelink assets test um, was a, uh, a big project that we had sort of from about September through till November of last year Um, where the related so the people that were going to be impacted uh, were you know contacted and we discussed with them what are the sort of advice uh, actions that we could possibly take to make things a little bit better Um, where there's a tax change with regards to like what we've just been through with people that were pursuing a transition to retirement strategy um, where there is a, a change that would make that less desirable or non-effective for for some clients um, it was a reason to be in contact and start to review so um, the the ones that I guess can be pre-programmed into the systems are you know birthdays anniversaries um, and family celebrations the ones that the the system pre-programs into the system are the tax and uh, legislative changes market changes you know and then there's just for the you know the platinums and the goals that just to have a chat, um, catch up, you know, uh, and just say hi when when we've got things going on. So I've got um, a program at the moment with um, one of my uh, platinum clients that's living overseas, who in sort of in the coming years will be looking to move back to Australia. Um, we've been sort of uh, a set of actions about different. Uh, sort of investment portfolio actions that we need to take um, because they're coming from being a non-resident back to becoming a resident. So there's some, there's some uh, implications for their investments and things that we need to do along the way. They own property in Australia as well as property overseas and we need to be talking about that with them at certain times before they come back. So um, the client will write their own story in a lot of ways in, in that type of circumstance. But, you know, we've got a lot of different types of stories out there.
2: And Steve, do you ever find that with when you're doing these more frequent catch-ups with clients, just to, to follow up on Jackson's question, like that you're that you're struggling for things to to cover off, or when there's when there's no news? Um,
1: how do you approach uh, that? It's you know, it sounds a bit trite, but really, it's it's sort of about the relationship. And because we've been in contact, sort of on a on a really frequent basis, we have a really strong understanding of what's going on. Or like as as strong as we we would like to have, sometimes a little bit too strong, a little bit too much of an understanding of what's happening in families. So <laughs> it it becomes a discussion about you know what's she doing, what's he doing, how are the kids, um, yeah. it, how's that how's that sort of scholarship going? You know, um, are they uh, are they really seeing value? And you know, I guess you you know it's it's always a line you know where you don't actually want to be sort of straying across from being a professional relationship into starting to give relationship advice, for example. But, um, because you know what's going on, um, it makes for a a free and easy conversation regardless where there's not a lot to talk about, you know, and it's as much the it's not just about what's happening in world markets and, and, you know, in the economy, it's what's happening in people's lives as well. I think we're friends more than as well as, um, being professional advisors i think you know they're again you know that probably blurs a line that that isn't a comfortable thing for a lot of people but mm. um you know i'm um, i'm more than happy to be there because we're all we all come from families and we all have stuff going on as they say so uh you know yeah. we feel privileged to be a part of it in a lot of our clients lives so keep it
2: personal i love that fantastic i know that i uh sometimes tiptoe along that line uh yeah. some of the things that you end up discussing but i suppose it's uh it's it's good to uh you know be able to have those conversations with clients so um okay and so like with the so with your segments you you've got these different touch points and different things that you do um how does it work from a from a pricing perspective like do you have set charge rates for your different segments and uh, or is it variable and then yeah how do you approach that
1: so with regards to the fees um, we've certainly you know as I said we started with um, what I call the cocktail approach where we um, have um, you know part fees part commission uh, and over time we've moved towards um, flat fees reflective of the value and complexity of advice as well as the hours taken to deliver the services Um, so as far as that goes um, you know our services are reflective of um, a $275 an hour um, charge out rate I guess for for the principal advisor um, and we build uh, the number of hours to deliver the Various service packages, and that then gives us um, the types of fees that we would be then looking to charge. And, um, you know, again, while we would say a platinum is um, a particular size of client, it's not a platinum is a $7,500 a year client. A platinum might be anywhere from a $5,000 a year client to a $10,000 a year client. It just depends on the services that make up that individual, you know, the, 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 the weight of those services in that individual service package. Uh, and, again, the client writes the story. Um, and as long as we're sort of delivering, able to deliver on that service, um, you know, what what the requirement of a particular client uh, in a platinum role may be, may be different to another platinum, at which point, price will will charge accordingly and review um based on the previous year to see um where in fact we've we've sort of um you know over sort of overcharged or undercharged we can adjust and we have adjusted um with regards to looking back at what we've done and the fds is a great um tool to be able to do that we um keep time in the xplan um, software as well so it gives us a reality check of just how much time we're actually spending with particular clients, um, mm-hmm. so that's that's really where we go with our, our service packaging and, and just making sure that's relevant to people. Um, it's and of so guidelines. The for,
2: what's the process? Sorry to interrupt, but what's the process there for <laughs> reviewing? I know we we spent a lot of time talking about that the other day, um, but. Uh, you know, is it an annual thing that's prompted with your fee disclosure statements to see where someone's came out in relation to where you're expecting them to and then uh, what's the process around you
1: doing that? So the annual review is the one where we're actually looking at what we're charging um, for the services that we've delivered over the course of the year. And again, you know, that that is reflective of the the data that's in X plan um, and that allows uh, us to, you know, you know, it'll be one review a year where we're doing the FDS for those clients that opt in. We review and opt in the the opt in clients every year. We don't we don't wait for the two years that we've got. We opt them in every year as part of our engagement and our ongoing engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is you know where we're basically looking at um, where there is a um, you know request where there is a a need to sort of look at the fees. Mm-hmm. Um, then we'll look at that prior to the meeting and then at the meeting we'll actually communicate that um for the next you know if it's an opt-in or even if it's an fds client we'll be talking about um what the fees will be going forward based on the activities that we've we've seen so um it's it's a matter of being active i don't want to take the fees off the table and just hide the fds at the back of the the portfolio of reports that we're giving to clients. So we really want to bring it out and make it front and center. Um, and it's a part of communicating the value of your advice as well, that you're actually um, prepared to actually put that front and center when you're having your review conversation.
2: Yeah. And how do you find that it's, re- that it's received when you have those
1: discussions with clients? Um, I guess there's been a bit of trepidation out there in the industry, uh, in the profession really around how people would perceive the fees, how people would, um, you know, when they actually saw a large, uh, a large fee, you know, $7,000 fee. Um, in reality, I haven't really had a lot of, a lot of a problem with the fees. I've never really had anyone sort of say, well, I'm, you know, I don't want to go forward. I don't want to keep paying. I don't think you're providing the value that you have set out to achieve. And I'm not getting value from this relationship. Um, I, to, be, to put it bluntly, I guess it's probably the same as a lot of people. Um, it's hard to actually um, sell that, sell a big fee up front. You know, like when you first meet somebody who's a um, who's someone that's come in from an accountant or has been referred from somewhere else. Um, not so much people that have been referred by their family, but if it's someone's been referred from outside, you um, that's the hard bit, the initial engagement. But once you've got a relationship and a strong relationship, I think that feeds into um, the receptiveness for that ongoing sort of discussion on fees and, and services provided. So, yeah, it's about building the relationship, I think, and um, and keeping that relationship strong through those touch points we've talked about.
2: Fantastic. Relationship first and uh, everything flows from there. I love
1: that. Yeah, yeah I um, believe that you know maybe i spend more time than what you know an efficient a so-called efficient financial planning practice would do on getting that good relationship with clients and just being there for people but it's what i wanted to do you know this is why i became why i left you know head office of a of a big institution to come out and do face-to-face advice again so i wanted to be a factor in people's lives and not just a money factor but a Someone that sort of would relieve people of their worries and their concerns about money, and at the same time help their families. You know, it's um, you know, it's a bigger job than just money. You know? And most people will say that, but you know, that's putting it at the core of what you do is very important.
2: Fantastic, I can I can feel the passion. I like it, uh, and clearly it's working for you, which is which is great. Just one f- final question on the on the segmentation piece. <clears throat> got you know you've got these different segments and you mentioned that some uh times you you work with people where they're they're going to be what uh it's considered maybe a lower value client and and might fall into one of your one of your lower segments what do you what are you actually delivering for those people and do you have like a minimum um fee that you charge or how are you keeping them engaged until they're ready to grow to the point where you can step them up uh and add more
1: value to them so to sort of, uh, I mean, to participate in that those um, ongoing sort of platinum, gold, silver um, type um, packages, we really are looking for at least twenty two fifty 50 on an ongoing basis um, and that might be as a result of, because we, we charge fees but we also um, will take ongoing commission from insurances um, as well. So our, our business model is to write nothing, nothing upfront on insurances. We've always written hybrid um, commission on insurances and that feeds into the revenue collected for a particular client towards those minimum standards. So, um, so when it comes to um, lower value, we will do work. We will actually maybe elevate people uh, in the, uh, in the service offerings to maybe get the same service, for example, as, um, Either their parents or their kids. Like we've got um, clients where um, you know, you know, some young younger clients are paying us, you know, seven and a half, eight thousand dollars a year for um, you know, comprehensive advice, wealth accumulation, um, retirement planning. Uh, their parents, for example, are nowhere near that stratosphere. They've probably spent most of their life working to give their kids the opportunities that they've. Um, been able to have to get to where they've gotten to. So the parents are included in that same servicing. So we'll spend as much time with the parents as we will with their kids. Um, yeah. Because it's all about, as I said, it's all about that relationship and you're dealing with the family. Um, and um, I think there's, a, you know, again, a no-no in a financial planning practice, but in my place there's a bit of cross subsidisation, but cross subsidisation that's meaningful and, and knowing and I know that I'm doing it, Um, I'm aware of it, and there are reasons behind it, but it's not necessarily a no-no per se, as long as you know what the reasons are that you're doing it.
2: Yeah, and I think it's not always, you know, you've got to measure against everything, but it's not always the things that you can directly measure um, that are going to add to your business long-term as well. Um, And so what about the individual clients where it might be more, you know, they're they're lower touch or there's less... uh, complexity there how do you keep keep in touch with them without going through the you know the
1: free uh, you know face-to-face reviews in the same sort of frequency so a classic example are insurance only clients you know with with our insurance business there, there are clients that there are some clients that we will travel to to go and see because of the um the amount of insurance and and their other needs that potentially could come up um throughout the relationship but there are a number of people that we have just as insurance clients that are in different states that we will um, you know, operate on Skype or telephone call to do reviews with them as things change. Uh, a number of the people that we've um, we've gathered as insurance clients from accountant referrals are sort of property investors that have day jobs but have a number of investment properties and are always looking to build their investment properties and build their equity and then you know create wealth that way so um, those reviews um, for those people a lot of those people will be over the phone or Skype a lot of them will be sort of um, of the mindset to be able to do an electronic type review process um, mm-hmm. and of, of course that's going to be a lower touch than having a face-to-face appointment lower cost I guess if you're not flying everywhere to do it as well so yeah um but yeah it's tailoring the insurance clients are probably the biggest example of that um electronic sort of review process where we're sort of leveraging the technology to keep in touch
2: and then all dr- driven through the x plan with your threads with your threads correct yeah
1: awesome. all of our activities the x plan activities will just tell us what to do um yeah. and then you know when it, when they come up we you know everybody's got to do what they've got to do, so yeah fantastic
2: well look there there are a couple of questions a couple of other questions from people watching in from uh from james and mark but uh (coughs) we've gone way over time as we uh sometimes do um but uh yeah i'm sure we're going to talk about uh this all day really but thank you steve Um, great to hear uh you know your thoughts and what supported your business i think uh you know relationships clearly a massive uh theme and and you know measuring everything and, and driving efficiencies but not um you know not everything that's going to benefit you can be measured uh yeah. as well so, uh, i just
1: uh, reinforce ben i just i just sort of reinforce this as a last point um people will be surprised at what their clients value from what you do for them um so please you know take the time to sort of have those deep conversations with clients from time to time to understand what they truly value and the core data survey was was one of those things that gave me those really good insights but what you can value in your client size is what you can actually build into your service proposition
2: awesome so don't assume always ask um and yeah you know, i think you can't go too wrong if you're uh, if you follow the lead of your clients so uh, great insights, Steve. Thank you again for sharing. For everyone watching in, uh, next week we've got the uh, XY Life Forum sessions uh, and we're going to be talking about um, the, the soft skills that, uh, that you need to, to be an advisor. We've got a special guest, uh, Nick Hayes, from the AFA uh, and, and talking about, you know, are degrees enough? What, are the, what is the answer? Uh, probably be a good one to get Steve, uh, Steve to uh, tag in <laughs> on as well, given his background in education, which we haven't been able to cover today. But um, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, the, for the questions, we're going to keep the conversation going on the uh, Facebook thread. So if uh, you've got any further questions, shoot them in there, uh, and and the panelists will be jumping in there later. Um, yeah, and thanks again to our mates at AIA for uh, for their support of XY Live. So, yeah, that's it. Thank you. And don't
0: forget, um, on the 20th of July, there's the Brisbane event for anyone in Brisbane out there. Um, 20th of July it's going to be a great evening with with a number of advisors doing some really cool stuff in their practices around cash flow management and really going to be pulling that apart and working out... um, How do we, are we, a big thing we're going to be talking about is do we teach them a fish or do we um, just generate outcomes for them? So uh, there's going to be, it's going to be a great evening on the 20th of July in Brisbane. Looking Looking forward to
2: it. Coming at you. Steve's going to be there. uh, I'll be there. So uh, any of our Queensland peeps, get around it. It's going to be awesome. We're looking forward to catching up with you all uh, as well. So thank you, everybody. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you same time next week.
1: Bye, everyone.